Hey everyone, this is Sam from Novel Discourse with a quick note about today's episode. You've probably heard me say this before if you've been a listener for a little while, but this is one of those episodes that we recorded a little bit before we made some major audio upgrades. So you might hear some increases or decreases to either my volume or Andy's volume as we're talking. So I say that one as a warning for those of you who have listened, but two, if you're a new listener, use this as kind of a disclaimer that this is not our typical audio quality that we like to put out. We're really excited you could be joining us. We've got a really interesting discussion coming up about the movie Miracle, about the 1980 Olympic ice hockey, um, I guess it's the semifinals game between the United States and the Soviet Union. We have waited to release this episode because of the upcoming Winter Olympics. We think it's a good preamble to one of the most historical moments, at least for the United States team anyways. Um, we talk a lot about what it means to have a great sports film, as we've kind of hinted on before with past podcasts. We also talk about, you know, what this means for those involved and how to make a good sports story that has a lot of weight to it and how to build the stakes of a story by using your characters. Um, that's all coming up next here on Novel Discourse. Let's go. Welcome to the Novel Discourse podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. My name's Sam, his name is Andy, and Andy, I don't know about you, but it is officially winter here in Dallas. It is cold in the D. It's it's definitely cold for what we call cold here in Texas. We were touching like the 50s this morning. It was jarring. Yeah. This week, there was there was some mornings where it was like 35, and I, it was, I couldn't deal with it. Couldn't walk my pup without putting on layers. I, I get What's pretty stoked. About? I get pretty stoked because I have a large collection of Air Jordan basketball sneakers and I hate how they look with shorts. So when winter comes or when when cool enough weather comes where I can wear long pants, I get very excited. And then I also get to wear f- fleeces, which I'm a big fan of. So this is a good time of year. Football well, you're, season. You're, you're a very like learned, learned, um, very academia type person. So I could see you rocking the sweaters, but then you've also got the the Jordans. So you know, you I'm I'm a, a little bit too. I'm 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 one of those like uh, I would be like the cool professor. It's like I got like the tweed jacket with the elbow pads, but retro Jordan one. So you know, I'm, right. hey kids, I know what on fleek means. Come Who on may now. or may not be sleeping with a TA on the side, and nobody really knows. Allegedly. Allegedly. They've never caught you in writing, so they just don't absolutely. Know. That's why I I strictly uh, keep everything on Snapchat because that deletes itself. Your snap score is crazy right now. I have I have snap streaks with thousands of my professional relationships. Do you ever wear Jordans with shorts like you just suggested? Because that seems like it would you would look silly. The only Jordan that I think I look good with shorts on is the uh, Nike SB Dunk Low. It's a low top sneaker and with the right socks, I think it can look cool under certain circumstances. But most of the the Jordans that I like are high tops, like the old school Jordan 1s, Jordan 3s, Jordan 4s. And I I think I look silly. I think if I was taller, it might look cooler. But because the shoe comes up so high and shorts come to a certain point, it, it makes me feel weird right. wearing them if, together. If there's so. like a very small amount of leg space between the shorts and the high top, you, you probably look absurd. Yeah. You look like that meme, uh, the 
Cowboys definitely, this is their year, bro, meme where the guy's wearing like the super long jean shorts and the really high top blue and white sneakers. Yeah. Um, and I feel personally attacked. The, when when joggers became like, uh, came to prominence, that was a big time for me. I got I got really into wearing joggers because- I'm thinking about like, like an Ed like, character where it's just like, just you have like an inch of leg showing. Yeah, dude, that. that was definitely like, dude, 1999 was huge for that. Like Jinkos that like you couldn't really tell if they were shorts or pants. They weren't really capris, but like probably could have been classified as such. Like, yeah, they were they were shorts. They were pants. They were parachutes. They were tents. You, you really couldn't tell. I would love were. to have seen what like working at the corporate office of Jinko was like in 1999. Like they were definitely all rocking those. It was definitely a cool, edgy company to work at. And they were like trying to secure a Limp biscuit sponsorship deal and it was probably the greatest of times for them until like 2002 9 11 yeah, was is, probably huge at that office that was really the death knell of jinkos i had a lot of fads i got into as a kid that's one that i'm glad i avoided like my mom wouldn't let me like i i don't really i think i i actively pursued them but my mom like was pretty open to me about the fact that she was like look like there's stuff in the 80s that was cool that did not was look in retrospect was really stupid. And as such, as you get older, you'll learn to recognize like what's going to be very trendy and then what will become very cringy later. And let me tell you, this is one of them. And she was definitely right. Like that's that's definitely highly memeable fodder for the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I did. I did get into overalls. Generation. I had an overall phase, which is not that's not like a fad. Like there was no overall fad in the 90s. I just. My, my are like mom, actually like super in right now, but like in a high fashion type way, right. like wearing like one strap, like ironically and like wearing overalls, but not even no. ironically, just like people that wear like, uh, you know, like unpronounceable French clothes, like streetwear type people are very right. into overalls. My, my mom swore that I should wear these overalls. I was like, mom, these look ridiculous. I, I had to have been like in first grade and I, I found out that, that I didn't have to wear a belt. So like, yeah, that is I was so late. I was so lazy that I was like, man, I, I, you're telling me that I can wear these and I, and I don't have to put on a belt. That's pretty great. And so I wore overalls like nonstop. And, and my like dad was year. definitely like trying to get me to dress like super fratty when I was a kid. And I definitely should have listened to him because that shit did slap super hard. But I also think back to like, we definitely lived through a very like the 90s and two th early 2000s were like a definite response to the like very heavy prep influence of the 80s and so there was a big backlash against that and i'll never forget this day in like eighth grade i wore a you know those like kind of quarter zip turtlenecks that like everyone has you know, like from polo or something they like come up really high on your neck but they they zip like a quarter down they're like kind of a formal sweater listen, listen andy i played golf in high school i know exactly okay. what you're talking yeah, about yeah so quarter, quarter quarter zip quarter zip sweater and i got one from in eighth grade i had this one from abercrombie and fitch which Sounds lame, but at the time, in like 2002, eighth grade, Abercrombie and Fitch quarter zip, shit was hitting. Yeah. Dude, I went to school and got so much abuse from like the skater kids about being a prep. Like oh, they just man. gave me so much shit. I like wanted to take it off. Like, and it's so funny because now as, as an adult, like that's so laughable that you would like feel self-conscious about wearing a piece of clothing that you like. But you know, when you, you know, when you go to school and you've uh, after summer break and you've got like that one outfit that. Yeah, dude, the day, the day wear. one fit, dude, that day one fit. You're, you're just hoping all the homies will gas you up. But here's what happened to me is I went to a um, like eighth grade orientation and you go with like groups of like 20 and they just showed us around the middle school. 
And right. I was wearing this, um, it was Hollister, one of those brands. It's like collared shirt. And I like openly, this kid made fun of me. And then the rest of the time he was like going around to other kids in the group and like snickering with them and looking back at me. And this oh, went on dude. for like an hour. Bro, that's, so, that's so damaging when you're that age oh. too. Like it's not like it, it, now you, you would laugh at him and so would other people like how lame that is. But you're also insecure that like given the opportunity to like, direct attention at someone else everyone bandwagons and mob mentalities into that because they're like oh no one, that way no one will look at me and how insecure right. i am about myself yeah it's horrible it's horrible. It's, a, it's just like the, it's 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 lord of the flies mentality a little bit Definitely. it's like you walk into the mall and you see these kids that are just like gonna make fun of if you, if you were by yourself and you see a mob of seventh graders walking towards you with like like a short talkative kid in the front of the line you need to get out of the way because he's gonna roast you He's going to end your career right there. The so. other, the other big change that we've experienced, I think, and I, and I promise we're going to talk about a movie. I, I swear. Uh, <laughs> Eventually, the other, the other hey, jokes big on you. This I, actually is not a writing podcast. This is a fashion. This is a fashion how, podcast. Now we actually talk about and how bad we got made fun of in middle school. This, this is just a fashion and child childhood trauma podcast. Uh, <laughs> but the one, the other big change i think was we were one of the last generations that experienced fashion as like a universal concept like there were quote-unquote cool clothes that everyone acknowledged as being cool and everyone kind of dressed the same and now like the internet has democratized and made fast fashion such a thing that like every single click of kids has different tastes and wears different shit and even right. regionally like california kids dress so different than like texas kids in like 1999 and now like i bet you'd like the cool kids in dallas dress like the cool kids in la like pretty similarly right. at the same age and so there's like this it was very different in that like you could just be totally out of sync with what was cool like the one example i always think of is like anime kids when we were in school were like this very outcast group that like wore tails on their pants like in the hallway and naruto ran to lunch and now like that they didn't have the internet so they couldn't like go discover that there were millions of people exactly like them and therefore like be totally secure in that identity and so now like anime is cool as fuck and like jocks and like cool football players and rappers and shit fuck with anime so it's like a totally different world than the one we grew up in which i think is way healthier like that's way better for kids that right. they don't have to feel like oh i like a thing so i suck like no, I just maybe like maybe I shouldn't live in Nebraska when I get older, but <laughs> this is still cool. Like, yeah, and, and we need to do another podcast on on the anime culture because that that could be like a five part series. Hell if yeah, you dude. ask me. Well, well let's just of get podcasts, into Akira and we'll we'll be there. I'm yeah, well, that that deserves its own episode. But speaking of podcasts, this one is about Miracle, the movie, um, based on the 1980 Olympics. Yep, Lake Placid, New York, okay. which I was immediately struck by because we used to give the fucking Olympics to towns like Lake Placid, New York. Like, dude, now like it's exclusively like L.A. and Tokyo and shit. And like back then, they we were like, yeah, how about uh, I don't know, Mule Shoe, Texas gets the Olympics. Like, it's it's nice, you know. Yeah. Hey, there's a track and field in McGurkle. Go ahead and just get yeah. to them. Like as yeah. long as it snowed there, the Winter Olympics were like, yeah, we okay, sure. You know what I mean? I mean, like, that's pretty much how Sochi got it. Other than yeah. and, and some cash exchange. And corru- I was going to say, and massive corruption and the right. presence of Vladimir Putin's winter home. That has to be part of the reason why you don't see it going to places like this anymore, or, or maybe the entire reason. Yeah, there's just too much money involved to have to think. I mean. You've seen in a lot of sports, I'm a big F1 guy, and, like, we've seen F1 slowly drift from, like, a uh, very history-heavy circuit of, like, 
very storied European tracks that have been raced on a hundred times to like, now I think we have four or five races at brand new tracks in the middle East that are all just like sparkling new in the middle of nowhere, probably built by slave labor in like Abu Dhabi. And it's just because that, you know, some oil rich prince wants to have Ferrari race in front of him for the the clout effectively. And so he's willing to pay the price tag. Like that's kind of how it all works. Unfortunately. Yeah, this is and and it's actually kind of an element they touch on early in the in the movie about how we were one of I think only a few countries, if not the only country that was like putting out its amateurs. Yeah, the whole amateurs, concept of am- I guess it depends amateur- on how you want. To, yeah, the whole concept of amateurism is touched on in this. That's a, that's a whole again a whole nother concept that could you could devote your own podcast to. But America really clung to this idea for a long time. I think probably in part because of the money of college sports and how much we wanted to like cling to the NCAA had a very like real need to maintain the the illusion of these being amateur athletes when very clearly they're like effectively professionals just not being paid. Right. Um, The same workload anyways. Oh, definitely. Um, And in many cases being paid just in sketchy ways. Right. Um, The, the term, student athlete and the concept of amateurism just as an aside was created uh because of a court case back in the 40s or 50s where uh a football player at harvard died during a football game or as a result of injuries from a football game and his wife uh sued the school for workman's comp because he had been you know doing something that generated revenue for the university and he had been killed and so they needed a legal shield for themselves and they created the concept of the student athlete and like the illusion of like no they're here to learn and then they just happen to play football which obviously when you watch like alabama play now like you're that's kind of a laughable concept so we've we've, we have taken steps in the other direction but yeah at this point in time uh the olympics are solely from a u.s standpoint for amateur athletes only those who are being paid cannot participate which really put us at a disadvantage because one other countries aren't doing that and two a lot of these sports to to really train at the highest level need to be full-time endeavors for whoever's doing them like you can't really be the best anything in the world in of athletics if you can only do it part-time and you have to work at denny's right 40 hours a week. And, and, and you're and you're getting such a small pool of athletes because you know one of the first things that this movie is, is about is like the first act of the movie is her Brooks played by Kurt Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, a getting the job and ha- and then putting the team together and working with 18 to 22 year olds, as opposed to being able to work with like the best 18 to 22 year olds, as well as players up into like their thirties, which is yeah. what every other team had got to do. And they lost talent. Like they make a note that like one, I think can't remember which two players are talking, but they're like looking at the list of the roster and they're like, Oh, where's so-and-so he was like the best guy on our team. Cause most of this team comes from right. Boston college and, or university of Boston and In Minnesota or something university of Minnesota where yeah. he coached before. And they're like, Oh, he he's not here. He got a $30,000 signing bonus from the NHL. So he's gone. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> like shit. And they're playing against a Soviet team that not only was hockey among those sports that the Soviet Union, their approach worked really well. Like it is a grinder sport, but they had, were coming off of, I think, five, four or five consecutive gold medals, which doesn't mean they won four years in a row. It means they won for like 20 or 25 years in a row of, right. of gold medal domination. Yeah, they were literally one of the greatest sports dynasties of all time. 
and had been together playing together for like a decade plus all of them yeah going against a bunch of college kids that as the film shows either hadn't played with each other or hadn't played each other and hated each other yeah and they had like a few months to figure it out and the soviets played a very different style of hockey than uh american hockey is kind of like a branch of the canadian school of hockey so they play like a very kind of like finesse game of hockey and the soviets played this like highly physical dominant pressure game that required you to either be like in better shape than anyone ever or match that physicality and given that these were like grown men who probably like served in the soviet military or something terrifying and i mean one thing i will say like at the very end of this movie when you see the scene where like kurt russell looks over at the other bench and the soviet coach you have that moment of kind of like mutual respect he's kind of like you know good game effectively like with his nod Mm -hmm. i felt like the actor was also showing you that like fear of like he might get executed for losing this game so like yeah a little bit of that going on yeah yeah and Man, taking a step back for a second, have I, I've seen this movie um, probably no less than 10 times, like around that area. I'd never I seen watched, this until we watched yeah, it. Yeah, so you never watched this. When did you When did you first watch it? Like this week? Yeah, uh, I started it on Tuesday. I was going to finish it today, but I decided I needed to like continuity. So I just restarted it and watched the entire thing in one sitting today. Um, yeah. I really That's liked it. That's meant to be done. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think... My initial reaction to it is that one, I get it why like it's such a popular like you're a high school coach, you need a movie to show your team movie. Like it definitely fulfills that role. What I really liked about it as from a non-athletic standpoint is I think that this movie has a really has a really great depiction beyond sports of the just like the daily reality that people occupied in during the Cold War. Like mm-hmm. this isn't really that game was a big deal because of all the things we've said that they were this kind of ragtag motley crew of effectively college kids playing against the greatest hockey team maybe ever and beating them but beyond that like the cold war to us like i think especially people that are younger than you and i like they've come to view war as a concept that kind of takes place in the background of daily life like it's kind of a constant like the cold war was but it's kind of on the back burner this movie does a really great job of showing that the cold war and our rivalry with russia was literally a daily part of life and culture in the United States. Like every TV, every radio show is about like, oh, the Russians just detonated this bomb. Like they're going to nuke us. You're under constant threat of nuclear annihilation. If someone like sneezes the wrong direction at one of these, you know, salt treaty meetings, the Soviet and Americans had gone through this whole space race. The United States has high unemployment. They're going through this gas crisis because of, the OPEC embargo, we're going through the Iranian hostage situation. And so America, who they needed this win, and this hockey game came to represent so much more than just a, a sports victory to the people who witnessed it. I think that it, it, and the movie calls us out, like it, it kind of gave people the ability to believe again, that even though things might seem insurmountable, they can be given enough, you know, good old American effort, I guess. Yeah, cooperation. Very rarely do you see a, or at least in my opinion, very rarely do you see a opening credits gel well with what you just discussed. Kind of the the backdrop of the movie or the theme of the movie. Oftentimes, it's just like they're just like, oh, let's cool, let's do a really cool 
shot of the city and things like that. Right. But like this was a very intentional because basically it's just showing news reels and and footage of current events going on at the time. Everything you just listed, right? And 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 then so you watch that for two two and a half minutes, and then as the the actual movie starts, that's on the front of your mind is like all the stuff that is going on with the Cold War, and then all the things at home that aren't going very well, right? Mm-hmm. And then we kind of fade into this reality of like the job that that Kurt Russell's character has to accept is kind of like be you know you're volunteering to lose effectively like yeah no kidding U.S. hockey isn't great they haven't done well in years your selection is from a shallow pool of not very you know basically every anyone not good enough to make the the NHL is who you have to pick from you're going up against a team that smashed the u.s all-star team like the nhl's all-star team played the soviets like six months before this movie is set and they beat them 15 to 1 so like mm. absolute blasted them out of the room um one thing i immediately noticed is the, the the clothes in this movie are wild bro like i think when i think of the 80s i think of the late 80s which is like pastels and like polos and kind of shorter shorts like that kind of came right in. american psycho type fair this is like early 80s when we're still kind of hold over from the 70s like kurt russell spends half this movie in a brown jacket with brown plaid pants on and that's a that's a suit and i was just like oh my god dude this is wild as hell dude like they're all everything the is drip a is insane the yeah. drip is crazy yeah and yeah just caught the you know that his boys were constantly gassing him up and that's probably Absolutely. why he got the job that's that's probably why he was hired um, is just to is just to be the mascot on the sideline with with the crazy outfit. No, um, they do immediately kind of get into uh, they're trying to put this team together, and you kind of see that. And I think that the film does this very intentionally. That and they even actually like they they kind of tell not show at one point, but just like there's this incredible divide seated with hatred in the world that these people occupy. That same dynamic exists inside of the organization. So there's two very distinct factions within the team, the guys that played at Minnesota for the head coach uh, who won a national championship with him, and then the guys who they actually beat in the national championship, I think is how it worked, who mm-hmm. from BU. And it was clearly a very, like, chippy final. There were some cheap shots going on. Like, so there's bad blood, like, across the board. And they view their identities not as Americans playing for the United States, but as like so-and-so from University of Minnesota or so-and-so from Boston University, um, which I think has like, obviously from like just a surface level, the movie is trying to show you that they really like only achieved victory when they could operate together as a single unit and overcome all their differences and be Americans and go go compete. But I think that that, sends, that tells a larger story that we could take from this, this story in general. Because one thing about this movie, unlike Remember the Titans or some of the other things we've talked about, this movie is very, very accurate to the actual events that occurred, down to the dialogue. They did not take much liberty with how it occurred. And I think one thing we can take from this is that like, when met with really huge problems that, that face all of us, not just one faction or another, um, it doesn't do you any good to be like, well, we're the Americans and we'll take this on, or we're the Russians and we'll take this on. Like at some point you have to be like, we're humans and we'll, we'll attack this together. Um, right. and that's, that's kind of, you see that on several levels in this film. And I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things this film does really well is letting you know what the problems are super early, right? There's no lingering yeah. into the story and then trying to figure out like, what's, what is the 
what's the issue? What are they trying to tackling? What's the adventure going to be? What's the problem, right? I mean, it literally starts with Herb Brooks, the main character in this interview, that he's he's kind of he's kind of turning some some heads, but he's also kind of bombing. And yeah. this job he doesn't think he's going to get. I mean, within the first 10 minutes, you get, as you pointed out, you have this team that has that's heavily factioned into different groups depending on where they went to university. You've got the United States Hockey Association that is basically has no belief in the team itself and is yeah. going to be watching over her Brooks the entire time. It was um, to manage by like by committee. Like they want 20 right. people in a room to decide their roster. And he basically has to tell, break the news to them. Like, that's not how a good team operates. Like you can't right. have 50 people pick 20 people to play hockey. You've got, um, you've got his, his wife, Patty Brooks, who's just, who, as the movie goes on, that becomes kind of a plot B is that, their marriage starts to get strained. So he's getting attacked from that angle as well, like not being there for his family. And then the assistant coach, who's like kind of plays a perfect fake ally type role, as well as an author's voice character. Cause every time that Herb Brooke is doing something wild, he like leans over to Herb and is like, Hey, are you sure you're, you're kind of taking this too far? Which is like what the whole audience is thinking. So yeah, basically the entire movie, he's getting attacked from like five different angles. Right. And so that plus the Soviets and the cold war is kind of the looming threat. The entire time it's just you're never at a moment in this movie where you're like wait what are we doing wait what's yeah. going on wait why do we care about this like no you know from the get what's what's happening i think it's I, one of the best things about the writing i'll tell you what i really appreciated about the depiction of the soviets in this movie was that they're depicted as incredibly good and incredibly capable but unlike many sports movies where it's very tempting to take kind of the antagonist force or the opposite team and make them actually bad. So like they cheat or they're evil or um, right. you know, most, the most famous example I can think of this is in the movie Friday night lights where they made the Dallas Carter team, like super dirty and like kicking helmets and dudes after the whistle and like talking shit and all this stuff. And it's like, it's not really how it went down at all. You just need them to seem worse than they are so that these like the odessa guys can be the good the good guys the russians in this movie are are kind of depicted as they probably really were which is like incredibly capable and probably very culturally cold to us seemingly because there's a language barrier and their their cultures is generally like more standoffish and kind of hard than ours mm -hmm. in, from a disposition standpoint but in a respectful way i felt like there's kind of this mutual like uh at least from from our side it's never like oh they're pieces of shit because they're so good they're just like hey these guys are really fucking good and we're gonna have to play our best game to beat them and that's yeah they're that's they're the really intimidating but they're not bad they're not the hawks from mighty right. ducks i guess is what i'm or i or team iceland which is like the other version of this uh for mighty ducks too um yeah i i liked that a lot i thought it was i thought it did the movie a lot of good to like keep it as it probably really was which is like i'm sure a lot of these dudes that were on the u.s team not looked up to but were like admired on some level the play of these russian guys they probably knew who they were and they're like these guys are super amazing like you know this is effectively like if some tiny you know not tiny nation but like some secondary country beat team you know team usa 1992 in basketball like it is incredible right. an amazing story so yeah i, I like that a lot one of the coolest things they did with developing the overarching you know antagonist which is you know the russian team is how 
they they hinted at the Russian team a little bit in the film. I kind of wish they'd done it more earlier in the film, but it wasn't until I believe they it, it was about halfway through the film when they sat down as a team and watched the footage of the Russian team. Yeah, where they had the reel going and they were sitting in a dark room and and uh, Coach Brooks is going through and with the clicker or whatever and is like showing the different clips of how good the Soviets are. He's narrating it and it's it's showing just like really impressive skating, really impressive goals, showing how big they are, showing how how they're just like blowing up people in terms of just like hitting them against the rails, things like that. And you can see the reactions from the players on the team, the American team, just knowing that they had their hands full. Um, and in that scene, coach Brooks is also giving some of the stats that you were referring to earlier about how many wins they had, how, how yeah. long they've been skating together. So it, it's a good way to show the audience, like, no, this, this team is for real. And it, again, it does it, it just does it in such an organic way that you can't help it after that scene, understand like what a mountain they have to climb to beat these guys. Agreed. And the Soviet, I think one thing that is done really well is that, I think one thing that made the Soviet Union as an entity so intimidating to the United States was that because of the insular nature of the Soviet Union, people were not allowed to freely, you know, leave the Soviet Union, come kick it in Texas on vacation and then go back. Very few normal everyday Americans ever met someone from the Soviet Union from like 1920 until 1990. And as such, there you know there weren't Soviet hockey players coming and playing in the NHL. They didn't come here to go play for our college teams. And so they're kind of this unknown. All we know about them is that they show up at the Olympics every four years and kick everyone's ass and then go home. And so the, the movie had to find a way to kind of communicate that weird disconnect between our two cultures. And I think that, it, that scene does it really well where it's like, this is our only real knowledge and experience with them. It's like, none of you, no one here has ever met these guys. Like no one here has ever skated with them, played against them, with them. Whereas like today, even the best players in Russia, like our players have probably played against them on some level in juniors, or they've come and played in, you know, the NHL, they come to the NHL draft or, or our, our players YouTube. go play in the, yeah, tons of stuff like that. Back then, like there were just like these kind of like legendary, you know, oh, this dude's from the Eastern Bloc. He's supposed to be crazy. And like, all you know, there's just like one film role of this dude, you know. Right. Yeah. So I thought that that scene communicated that really well. Um, and it does. It, leaves, it, it puts you as in the audience in the same position these kids are in. It's just you're just watching this being like, fuck, how are they going to do this? Like, even though, you know, the movie's called Miracle. Like, I doubt anyone went into this film not really knowing what the ending was going to be. And yet it did a good enough job building the tension around like, man, how are they going to surmount this? This is really crazy. Like, these guys do seem like overwhelmingly better at this game than these American guys are, especially given the nature of the Americans, like kind of disposition towards one another and the game in general, like this is going to be crazy. I have one sort of critique about the, the way that the Russians were introduced. And and I want to see if you push back on this at all, because her Brooks is so clearly the protagonist. Like we talked about, remember the Titans a few weeks ago and you had, really two protagonists uh, between the two head coaches. And then you also had like much stronger uh, side characters on the yeah. team. But on this movie, it's like, I don't remember 80, any of the names 80, of the players really like in the movie, right? Which is one of my bigger critiques about the film. But I think, so it's so Herb Brooks oriented. I think that it's only apt that that kind of reveal that audience reveal 
it was it was revealing to our secondary characters, the team. I wish that that real and some of that information was revealed to her Brooks, and we could see his reaction to it being revealed. Because I and and I know that he's the coach, and he's probably supposed to know all that stuff. So maybe they have to do it really early in the film, but I think it would have been really powerful if say either the first scene or maybe after he gets the job, they bring him in and somebody like sits him down and like, this is your mission to defeat this team and like show him the real and stuff. I think it'd been a lot more powerful to show Herb going through that realization about what the mountain they have to climb as opposed to the players. I, I agree with that from a, from like a narrative device standpoint, my only, I don't even know if I call it a pushback. I guess my only caveat is that like, Herb's real like advantage in this film and the reason he gets the job, like being an outside the box, you know, not really the man for the job, traditionally speaking, is that like he comes in with like an intimate understanding and and begrudging respect for the Soviet hockey machine. Like Mm -hmm. you almost get the feeling that everyone else wanted to just go play American hockey and hope for the best. And he came in being like, no, look, like these guys are better than us. They're a much better team than us. Like if you want to beat them, you have to change. We have to change everything about the way we do things. We have to change how we condition. We have to change how we play. We have to change how we build the team. And we have to play a style of hockey that marries Soviet school with Canadian school and does something that they're not prepared for. And so I think a, like such a key component of his character as a coach is an intimate knowledge and respect for Soviet hockey as an abstract concept that it would have been hard for us to see that without – a, a flashback like you know like the opening scene would have had to have been him 10 years earlier playing against some russians or something and and they could have done that but i don't know if that really happened and i do know that they were like very intent on keeping this so close to the real thing uh i know that herb himself was like involved in the making of this film uh yeah. he died before the movie got to be released i loved the the post uh movie scene where they were like he didn't get to see it but he lived it i was like that's pretty rad. right that so, was yeah but I agree with you. It would have been that is it is such an interesting moment to see that wash over the players that seeing it wash over their kind of their figurehead and their leader and our main protagonist would have been really interesting too. Um, I wondered if the decision to make the players kind of just like a group entity and not make any of them like an individual they don't stand out to me. Maybe other people had a, a different perspective on the film yeah i felt like the players existed as just kind of like interchangeable red white and blue guys on the ice none of them really like became standouts to me maybe the goalies a little bit because of their little like oh like we're gonna change them out um but i felt like that contributed to the whole narrative like the press keeps asking to talk to individual players at the games and he says like no this is you know we're here as a team we operate as a team. I didn't know if that was a decision made based on that, if that's why they depicted it that way, but that is, you know, there's a connection there maybe. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I think that's one of the, the takeaways that I had watching the film as well as some of the, the critics that I read after the film is that it's a sports movie that is very, that very much does not let the players take center stage. Yeah. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, but one thing I found interesting is that, there were several instances throughout the movie where they tried to let the players have C and D plot lines that just weren't really that fleshed out. Like, uh, remind me Jim, Jim or Jimmy's name, Jimmy Craig. So Jimmy Craig has the plot line with his father. And then mm-hmm. I believe it's Jack O'Hall- O'Callahan comes in, uh, like halfway through the seat or, or no, he gets, he's the one who get, it gets injured. Right. And then like mm-hmm. brought back on the team. I thought that one was a little better, but there's a few of these 
like I said, these C and D plot lines that just aren't very fleshed out. And the players kind of look alike. They kind of act alike. And they, they've got some very different names in there. But like, you've got a O'Callahan, and then you've got a McClallahan or McClanahan. I mean, half of them are so, from Boston. So they're right. all going to be just like white Catholic Irish guys that, you know, are from Boston. I mean, I, I on some level, I get it because the overarching theme of the movie and kind of the, the moral lesson of the events is that like, you have to give up part of your individual identity and, and what you think you personally stand for and sacrifice part of that for the greater good of, of the team. And it's the, it's that like creation of an almost like un inseparable family level of unity that allows you to, to punch above your weight. Like when the, when the unit becomes greater than the sum of its parts. I mean, he has that scene where he talks about like, they, they tell him like, you know, the NHL all-star team got beat 15 to one by the Soviets. And he's like, all-star teams like don't work because they rely on the individual talent to like to play basically one-on-one against other guys. The Soviets take an all-star team and then make them play within a system that has them all contribute equally to an overarching goal. So with that being such like a central focus of both his coaching philosophy and the movie itself, um, obviously like kind of the, one of the penultimate scenes of this film is when they run those, I don't know what you call them in hockey. Like they're basically gassers, like where you right. like a basket suicides. We still, yeah, I don't suicides. know if they, is that, do you still, do, they, do, do kids still call them suicides in school? I feel like that, that'd be more frowned upon that. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not great, but. Um, you, uh, maybe it's just like wind skates. Let's call it wind yeah, skates. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're doing the wind skates. They're going up and back and forth. And he, he's having them do that. He's had them do this series of introductions and they've always Again. been like, I'm, yeah, Again. I'm Andy Again. Gatelli. I'm from the university of Minnesota. And then finally one of them's like, I'm so-and-so I play for the United States. And that's kind of the, the moment where you've realized that like they've, they've given up this, you know, and it's, it's the story of America, right? It's like you show up and you're, you're Anthony Dominic and tell you the first you're from Italy or you're from Genoa. But when you get here, you shed that and you're Anthony Gatelli and you're an American. And that's right. when you can contribute to like the societal mission of everyone moving forward, which is awesome. I mean, I love that. I, you know, as a, as the, as a child of, of, you know, third generation immigrant, like I, I can identify with that message. My grandpa was huge on that. You know, he was very big on the idea that the second he stepped off the boat, he wasn't Italian anymore. He was an American. And I've always admired that in him. And so I, I, I liked that message in this movie that like they are, they're giving up kind of part of who they are as individuals for the greater good of, of the nation and to provide hope to a nation that is somewhat in the dumps at the moment when they're occupying time and space. Yeah. It's a, it's a great kind of national message of, you know, this is obviously a very like patriotic film, but it's also a great sports message of just being part of that team. And you and I talked about on one of our last podcasts about remember the Titans, about what makes a great sports movie and like the formation of team and like dropping ego is a super common theme among sports films and i think this movie does it one of if not the best like one of the best jobs at portraying that i mean one of the most iconic scenes in the whole movie is literally what you just talked about where it takes you know they have to have some disappointing performances on the ice and go through a few you know wind skates to realize like yeah they need to drop their ego at the door you know yeah and it's and it is a really good backdrop that as we said, they they did not like each other. They they not only did they have to like drop where they came from, 
but dropping where they came from is such a big deal in that environment when you either went to BC or you went to Minnesota and like the yeah. rivalry there. Yep. So it's, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, I guess I could throw out examples, but it would be like if, you know, we had a team of all-stars and they, you know, 90% of them were from California or Texas and they were like bickering at each other. And it's like yeah. all of a sudden, like which side is going to be the first one to be like, Hey, I don't care that I'm from Texas. I don't care if I'm from California. Like I'm an American. Well, like, I, I do like hard... the guy. I, I do like the guy that's like the one guy's like, I went to the university of Minnesota. And the other guy's like, I went to Boston university. And the other guy's like, I'm from uh, wherever I won't get hit. Cause like they yeah. beat the shit out of each other. I thought it was really funny. The, I, uh, by the way, I just said BC and I don't, is it Boston or BC? Cause they're different. I can't remember. I can't remember if it's from, I'm going to look it up. I want to say it's, it's Boston university. Is okay. So where, where apologies for people who went to both Boston university and BC and shouts out to you as well. No, I, I know. Some I don't jerks, want to get hit I, I know some jerks that went to BC, so it's whatever. I'm just being cult culturally sensitive. I just don't want to. There wanna... you go. No, the, uh, it is, but it is, it is great. I love that. I think, so I, I know I've heard you mention that, uh, I, am I correct in saying that you think this is the best sports movie of all time? So I said that a few weeks ago when we were just talking and passing about like which episodes are coming up on the docket. And it's funny after, kind of rewatching it and dissecting some of the the writing in it i i've i'm actually going to move it down a little bit i some we've talked about some of the things right we talked to me the big things are i think there are significant characters that don't get enough development and i think there are a few tweaks to like i do think they should have gone all in on herb's story and what herb had to overcome Co coach herb brooks or spread the wealth a little bit and have more characters with more story but i feel like they kind of got this weird space of you had a clear protagonist that had some stuff that probably should have been fleshed out a little bit earlier. I listed one of them as being the, like in, in stories, it's, you know, we, we want to have a kind of calling moment where the, the protagonist decides to, to tackle this journey. And I, and I wish we could have seen him have that sort of realization about what he yeah, had to he, conquer. He effectively is like born for it in this movie. It seems yeah. like he was like birthed from the womb and then, acquired all his experience just to eventually win this game yeah and there was one more thing i wanted to talk about with that and and this could be viewed as a pretty small thing but i think this is a just just one example of, of really what i'm referring to um with herb brooks character maybe like not being as fleshed out as he could have been and that is early in the film it shows a photo of herb brooks playing on one of the earlier olympic teams and then um you find out the reason that he doesn't want to cut Jack O'Callaghan so quickly because who got injured is because that's what happened to Herb Brooks. Right. Yeah. And you find that out, like, I don't want to, uh, maybe 70% through the film. It's pretty deep in the film that you find that information out. It's a really critical piece of information as to like who Herb's is as a person. And I'm not, and like, I understand that you should have some level of like knowledge that you want to withhold from the audience and dispel it at different times. But I think, they used that critical piece of knowledge to develop really Jack's storyline, which again, we didn't really care that much about at the time. Yeah. When I would have loved to see that be again, something that they bring up within the first 15 minutes of the film be like, cause a lot of this, you, you, you know, it matters to her because it matters to the country. But if they would have told us in the first like 15 minutes, like this is also Herb's redemption story. Dude, and that would have the, been a show really the moment, cool dude, thing. The actual moment in real life is crazy. So he's, a member of the 1960 Olympic team. He is the last cut off the team the week before the games. Three weeks later, he has to sit at home with his dad and watch them win the gold medal. 
So the U.S. team wins the gold in the 1960 Olympics. So if you think about the timing of that, that means that that's like after that one, that team that he got cut from won gold. The Soviets have won every gold medal since then until 1980, which is nuts. Like that means that like it makes it even crazier, the stakes for him personally. Then after they win gold, the next time he encounters the coach that cut him, he walks up to him and says, well, you must have made the right decision. You won. And shakes his hand. And that's like his like inciting moment of his entire life where his you know journey to become this Olympic champion was born. Like that's so crazy and powerful. I maybe that was like left on the cutting room floor. They just didn't know how to include it. I hate to compare yeah, every hockey movie. I, I hate to compare every hockey movie to Mighty Ducks, but like you know, <laughs> Mighty Ducks begins with like Gordon Bombay missing that shot as a child. And then fast forward. I feel like you could have shown like the first scene could have been like young. Uh, Herb Brooks, like sitting at home watching them win gold, and like his dad being like, Look, you were the last cut, you know, like that means you were so close, like you should take pride in that. You know, you could easily write dialogue that alerts people to the situation, then show him just walk up to the coach and say that line, and then like fat, and then say like 1980, and then it shows him like trying out to be the coach. Like, yeah, that, that could be really rewarding. At, is that's like one of the most important things about his character, and we learn it that again, they try to make it a kind of in passing sort of nod to reality as it's pretty much fodder for like the fifth most important pop plot line of the film when it could have been used as like one of the most critical elements to like the main protagonist's story, which would have been so much more powerful. And that once I realized that I was like, that's it. I, I, I saw some critics saying this, like, and this is kind of how I feel the more I dig into the movie is like, it's a really good movie that could have been a phenomenal movie. And there's a few, and, and that's just one of a few things that kind of left me feeling that way. Yeah. It, it's a really good sports movie and it, it hits all the beats of a really good sports film that it could have been just so much more. Right. We talked about, uh, remember the Titans a few weeks ago and how it hit all the right beats and then some, right. We talked about, you know, Denzel's acting. We talked about some of the comedy in it and things like that. And I feel like, if they would have hit some higher notes in Miracle, I think it would have been just significantly more remembered than it is today. Yeah. I feel like when I, having seen this fresh in my mind, so obviously my uh, my my opinion of this film could change upon more viewings or just longer time stewing on it. It's very recent, but I feel like as far as a movie that is more focused on just sports than most sports movies are, because most sports movies that I'm really drawn to are really not completely about the game itself. Like I love uh, Field of Dreams. I love Any Given Sunday. Like these are movies that are about sports, but they really are more about like what takes place off the field and they use mm -hmm. the sports as a framing device. This movie is truly just about this sporting event. And I think that they did an incredible job with that in, a, in what I would consider limited scope. I think the hockey looks great. I think they did a really good job creating uh, a sense of, at least from the American perspective, what this game meant, the cultural impact it had, the world in which this game was played, and the time in which it was played. I think all those things made for an incredible retelling of the story of this game in the way that like ESPN would tell the story, right? Like if the if the perspective is sports, then this was great. I think what we tend to come to movies for more often is the human element. And that is somewhat 
lacking in this movie compared to maybe other sports movies. Like right. it is way more focused on goals and assists than it is like the tortured personal journey of whoever is playing for this team. Um, yeah. But all in all, I loved it. Um, man, I'm, I'm sitting here having uh, Herb Brooks wiki pulled up and this dude's career is crazy. Like he did this. He went on to coach two more Olympic teams. He coached team France in 1998 at, at the Nagano Olympics in Japan. Huh. And then in 2002, he in Salt Lake City, he coached the U.S. hockey team again, and they won silver. So he's a good coach. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So yeah, so he's decent. You, you talked about other sports films, um, and so they've got two writers on this film. This Eric Gutenheim is one of them. Who I looked at his bio. You can't really find much, and he started doing some digging and realized that he wrote a few like Magnum PI episodes. The 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 reboot. Nope. Um, oh sick <laughs> yeah like really this is like by far the biggest thing he's done and then there's mike rich who i believe was more of a uh consultant this dude just churns out this dude definitely churns out uh sports related content for yeah disney so he did uh, finding forester which low-key slaps i'm sure as a writer you love that movie i have you not seen man, that you haven't seen finding forester i have not oh man you gotta watch it it's sean connery and he's a old, like, famous writer who's now a recluse. And he's whoa, 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 whoa! Busta Rhymes is in this movie. Oh, dude, it's so sick. So, Sean Connery's an old, like, reclusive writer that lives in like Harlem. And there's this kid who's like a young black kid who's really gifted writer, like incredible writer, but he's being pulled away by the streets. But he encounters Sean Connery, and Sean Connery's like, "Dude, you need to not." do gangster shit you need to be a writer you could be an incredible writer and so they strike up this like unlikely friendship and the culminating moment of this film is that sean connery looks at this teenage black kid and goes you're the man now dog <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible like so we, we didn't even touch on how good of a speech is in miracle but i think that that speech you just said tops it dude the speech in miracles fire it's up there with the uh i would say the we are marshall i mean to me the goat the goat halftime speech of any movie is the pregame speech for the playoffs in any given Sunday that Al Pacino gives to their team. The, when you add up all the, it's a game of inches. And when you add up all those inches, we're going to come out on top. Like that's the, that is the one that makes me want to run, run through a wall. But yeah, but yeah, this dude did the rookie. I mean, he knocked him out, dude. It, from like 2002 to 2006, he did the rookie radio miracle and invincible. So he was just like Walt Disney yeah, bunch, sports I mean, it's films. Like, he was just like, with the exception of, uh, and I forget exactly what year. Remember, the Titans came out, but that is like most of the really good sports movies in that like two thousands. Because like Secretariat is also amazing. I haven't seen Secretariat. I read the book, but I have not seen the movie. You know, it's based on a real story, right? There, there was a horse named Secretariat. No way, dude! Wait, there are horses. They race. Yeah, horses are real, and uh, they they run like they do in the movie. Because they made another – there was another big high-profile horse movie, right? Seabiscuit was another one, right? They made a Seabiscuit movie? I think that one's fictional. I, if I if I remember – I might be getting them mixed up. I think that – I think Seabiscuit is fake, and that's – that's there's but not – Yeah, I, ju I just meant – I just meant like there's another high-profile horse racing yeah. movie called Seabiscuit, right? Yeah. 
And Muhammad Ali is also a fictional character too. 2003 American sports film, blah, blah, blah. The film is loosely based on the life and racing career of Seabiscuit, an undersized and overlooked thoroughbred racing horse whose unexpected success had made him hugely popular in the media in the United States during the Great Depression. Man, how depressed was the United States that it was like, <laughs> it's a tiny horse, but it sure runs fast. <laughs> I bet you feel less hungry now, don't you? Like, yeah. God, dude, how sad. Well, that was before like all the really fun sports were invented. Bro, the poster of this movie is just Tobey Maguire, like straight up like twilighting with a horse he's like got his nose to nose with a horse like with his eyes closed <laughs> what is that what is that you'll get your damn rent when you fix my damn door yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great that's great this is the time of the episode where we go off track and we just start pummeling through wikipedia articles and laughing at ourselves best sports movies of the 2000s let's see where people have ranked oh they have finding forrester in there i guess he played basketball okay number one rush hard disagree yeah that was a average at best no i i liked that movie but like it's not even the best car racing movie like ford versus ferrari was better than rush like southpaw the blind side creed eddie the eagle fox catcher coach carter draft day creed was tight draft day the fighter the fighter is really fucking good I got to give it up to the fighter with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. That shit slaps. Man, man you, you want to see a campy sports movie, Draft Day. Oh, my mom Wait, loves he did, Draft Day. He didn't go to the birthday party? Wait, nobody Dude. went to the birthday party? Okay, so everyone everyone laughs at that, and I too find that hilarious. Do you know that that's a real story? I believe it. I believe that stuff like that happens around the draft. That's, 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 a, that's a story about Ryan Leaf. Really? Yeah. Ryan Leaf was like, Mr. Washington football, like the or Idaho or wherever he's from, the fucking greatest fucking player of all time ever. And an NFL yeah, scout, State. like, right. But like, he's from like his high school, wherever he, I think he's from like some small town in Idaho and went Got to it. Washington State. But some scout like tells this legendary story where he like went back to his hometown and asked people about him. They were like, yeah, he was the man, but everyone kind of hated him. And yeah. so that was like an insight into the fact that like, Ryan was like kind of a cunt. <laughs> and so like he was right. I mean, he was 100% correct on that. So but the way that they do it in that movie is hilarious. And the trades in the movie are see whoever the Seattle GM is in that movie would get like run out of town and burnt at the stake for like I, I, I'm t- I'm too nervous. Okay, you can have five first round draft picks. <laughs> like, he just like <laughs> gives in to, yeah. like Kevin Costner's just like too charismatic on the phone for him, so he just like gives up the great trade robbery. Adam Schefter would dox that guy into a oh, yeah, dude. That, Mel Kiper would make fun of him. That would so be speaking it. of, I, I I have to say this sports story about we have heard from several sources that were in the room at this time the Ryan Leaf Scantron story. Have you heard this story? Right, sorry, Mallet. Ryan Mount, the Ryan Mallet stands oh, yeah. on story, which oh, is yeah. where amazing, incredible. Ryan Mallet was a college stud at Arkansas, um, quarterback, and we he was going through college around the same time as us, and he was like a Heisman hopeful at the time. And we had multiple people that we knew that were in this, you know, huge lecture hall of like 300 plus people right before a big test. Everybody's getting ready for it, and he stands up in the middle of the the room and holds out his arms. And says, "Does anyone want to give Ryan Mallet a Scantron?" Oh, I, I heard it then, was, who, "Hey, who got a Scantron for Ryan Mallet?" <laughs> which sounds a lot more like on brand, but yeah. And then, of course, like people actually like flock to give him a Scantron. But I was going to say, you know, they did. 
and, and and you hear that story and like he's projected to go high in the NFL draft and you're thinking like, man, he is really talented. But I heard that story about the Scantron thing. He sounds kind of, you know, he sounds like a little, little full of it. And then sure enough, like three years later, that story where he like missed the team flight when he, like yep. when the Houston Texans would go play Miami because he like slept in and you're just like Dude. that. Okay. Sounds so, right. So the one that always makes me really sad is uh, I remember reading this article about Justin Blackmon and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers held this sixth pick and they ended up trading that to the Jaguars who took Justin Blackman and the Bucks sent a scout to Stillwater because they had heard which, you know, NFL teams have like intelligence networks that rival the CIA as far as hearing right. like every piece of intelligence and rumor. And they had heard that Justin had a drinking problem. And they sent this scout to this bar in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Oklahoma State is to figure out if that was true, because they heard Justin came in and they just told the scout to go in that bar, hang out and see how many days in a week that he was there, like that Justin Blackman came in. Was this and Eskimo Joe's? I don't know what bar. bar it is. It doesn't say in the article, but he went in there. He was there for a week. He flew back and they traded the pick to Jacksonville. And they later asked the scout, how many times did Justin come in? And he said, too many. Obviously, like alcohol totally yeah. ruined that guy's career. He got like three or four DUIs and like reportedly always a really good kid like a really soft-spoken, sensitive, emotional, really nice guy, just like had clearly had demons yeah. that he could not shake. That really was a sad. really sad story. And weirdly enough, we're kind of coming full circle back to our story at hand. This really, like, we, we joke about all this, but it really does outline, like, the the kind of pressure that college athletes are under. Like, we just gave you a few stories of, like, just what rock stars these kids are and the rock stars that they were at Boston university and Minnesota. And that again, should just underline how probably challenging it was for these guys to like come together and like have to put their ego aside. Oh, right? and then, and then you got the country on your back. Like you're, you have to win this game for America. And this is like, I don't want to say it's good or bad. I think it's probably bad, but like kids now when they arrive and they're a five-star player in whatever, they're used to some degree of notoriety, like because of YouTube and recruiting services and social media, every kid that's a five-star superstar in basketball or football, they have a hundred thousand Instagram followers. By the time they're 17, they've been interviewed by people, et cetera. This was an era where like these kids were probably relatively unknown out of like their local region. And then, suddenly they are international heroes to the United States. Like that is crazy in a time where we needed heroes. Like these dudes were probably on par with like the astronauts. Like it's really yeah. nuts to think about. Yeah. I mean, cause you're talking about, again, it's there, there's so many elements to this because it was, you know, in today's Olympics, they're professionals playing as professionals. Right. And there wasn't this like massive cold war going on that like, defined american society right like playing against the russians at that time is as big of a national rivalry in sports that like the, the united states has ever seen like today the closest thing we probably have to that is like when you're watching like the american gymnastics in a close kind of meet with like the chinese chinese yeah gymnasts right but even then and, the stakes aren't nearly as high i would say right and and also you have to keep in mind that like you're comparing the summer Olympics that have like so many other sports that are like so well, like recognized and received. Whereas in winter Olympics, this is like one of the only team sports and it's the only team sport that's like everybody pays attention to. Right. And the only one that people, and it's on American soil. Yeah. And, and it's the only sport that people 
pay attention to when it's not the Olympics. Like when it's not the Olympics, no one gives a shit about figure skating, but people like hockey year round. Yeah, it's it's super nuts. I feel like there's a there's a degree of like nationalism to the Olympics in the 20th century that we don't really understand anymore. Like you look at the history of the Olympics, it was used as this like stage for international relations for so long. Like Hitler used the Olympics as this like testament to Aryan supremacy by like juicing up all these German athletes on crazy steroids. And then of course, your boy, Jesse Owens came through and just slapped them all and won all the gold medals for the United States anyway, which was sick. Or, you know, there's a reason that terrorists chose the Munich Olympics after World War II as the stage for their attack on the Israeli team, which was horrific. The apartheid Olympics where like we wouldn't, you know, allowed the, we wouldn't go compete in South Africa. South Africa wasn't allowed to come compete in other places. They were banned from international competition. Then we had the whole period of time where like we wouldn't go we would boycott Olympics that were held in the Soviet Union. They would boycott Olympics that were held in the United States and NATO countries. Like really crazy kind of detente back and forth, like tit for tat uh, kind of political maneuvers done using the Olympics as a vehicle. Now, to a certain degree, I do think there's like national pride involved. Like obviously the Russians still care about it because they had that giant doping scandal where they were doping their every single athlete in their entire program because they care so much about it. And I'm not saying like Nike doesn't do that too in the name of marketing dollars in the United States. But point is like the stakes just seem like there aren't nukes involved anymore as compared to how it was then. So this is just a totally different level of intensity compared to what we see now. Like I don't think anyone lives or dies based on whether Sean White hits a stick ass 1080 on the half pipe <laughs> in Tokyo. Like yeah, you'll see it on you'll see it on Instagram and it'll get a million likes and all that, but people aren't like glued like cuz this game the Miracle on Ice was like primetime NBC television. Like everybody oh, yeah. was sitting down and watching this. This was a huge deal at the time. So, yeah, it doesn't get the stakes safe to say that the stakes literally cannot get any higher. Like I can't think of a scenario that the stakes would get higher. No, I, really, I, 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 really I was just I was just trying to think about it. I cannot think of a sporting event. Maybe sporting events were like it meant more like the only sporting event I can think of where like it meant as much to the people involved was like the I don't know what you call it. Have you ever seen the movie Invictus with like the South African rugby team when yeah. they they came back from apartheid? It was like the first time they integrated the team. That's probably a comparable level of like national fervor for a, a given national side in a sporting competition. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as stakes go, where like two world powers that are constantly on the edge of nuclear mutual annihilation, can't imagine another scenario like that. Yeah. I mean, I can try to come up with scenarios, but it's all, it would be all completely fictitious and, and, it, yeah. and almost sounding outlandish. So I, I think we're, we're good to leave if it at some, that. If the, if the independence day aliens came down and they were like your best five versus our best five and basketball to 21, if you win, we leave, you lose, we annihilate your planet. I'm taking Draymond. <laughs> oh, dude. If, yeah. But what if it turns out that the aliens genitals are in a different location in their body and so his like primary mode of attack is like ineffective but you know curry's like like, oh never mind i just messed up i just messed up the quote i was trying to quote max kellerman and he where he's like i'm taking iguadala oh yeah uh, universe on the line oh man i can't believe i botched that i just named like the completely wrong player i was like okay draymond (laughs) i'm draymond i was like okay it's not a bad coming out of my mouth (laughs) i didn't know what you were referencing so i was like all right (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you're trying to be a good host and just be like, yeah, dude, that's a he could be in the five, take. I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part it's of it's like, that I know nothing about basketball, so like for all I know, that's like a really good selection. So I was like, yeah, yeah I mean, I know he kicked a guy hard in the nuts one time, so that'd be <laughs> one, funny. One time, what do you mean, one time? <laughs> but, yeah, like for all you know, that's like a very like uh hipstery, but like very like take with high acumen like oh yeah dude he's, he's great floor spacer like he's yeah. like the best pick and roller in in the league and um sorry about that uh, i do remember the i'm taking iguodala though i've seen that online before that is really funny like one shot with the fate of the universe i'm taking iguodala yeah so yeah him. other than iguodala saving the world i i don't think you can come up with a more high stakes uh sort of yeah all scenario. in all i this is like, I know I say this about every movie, we watch, but like, I could definitely see myself showing this to my kids. You know what I mean? Like, as a, that, that should be our, our like sign off for, for every yeah, episode we it, do. Is, it's I'm it's show my really tough. Like there are definitely movies I'm not going to show my kids that we will review. I promise. But like, we've done a bunch of like Disney sports movies thus far. And so yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, are you like, going to show city of God to your kids? Like when they're like eight, when they're old. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Like, Okay, so you want to know where dad's mistress came from? All right, sit down. We're gonna... <laughs> this is where dad's second family lives. Yeah. So anyways, you're going to show your kids this, and it's a, I mean, we kind of have to give it a, a writing one out of 10 and a, like, how well is this movie written, right? And then how good is the movie? Because I'll say this before we get into that. I'm, I'm going to say that to say this. Uh I think that this is kind of a little bit like remember the Titans where the writing is one thing and the acting and the cinematography and like the costume and all that are like, it's different thing that adds on to the film. In my opinion, like the right, it's not one of those movies where you're just like, man, this dialogue or like, man, this, like, I can't believe the, the way that they've like structured um, the timeline and events. Like this character is super powerful but it's it's just a good movie, right? So it is. It's like okay, the 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 actual events do, do all the heavy lifting. If this right. movie was totally right. fi fictional, this movie would kind of suck. Not suck, but just like you wouldn't care. Like mm -hmm. it's not that well done from any kind of like technical perspective. It's not uh, inspiring in some kind of like when you watch Million Dollar Baby, it's like a moving piece of fiction. You know what I mean? Like when you watch Miracle, it's moving because you know this is real. And so they definitely took that. This is a classic Walt Disney vehicle. It's very safe. They didn't try to do anything crazy with it. They didn't try to get like nutty with the cinematography or any of the acting choices aren't outlandish. They didn't do anything like that. They definitely let, they wanted to tell a very like truthful version of a true story. And I think they did that competently. Grading that is difficult. It's like how good how good are we at tracing this picture? Like you did a good job. You know what I mean? Right. Like you didn't fuck up tracing. <laughs> like yeah, it's like it's, it's like the age old question of like how good is Chili's? Yeah, right. Amazing. Chili's Chili's is <laughs> Chili's is like I, as I've said before. It's like where you go when you don't know where you want to go. It's like if you're, from, it, if you're do, from Dal if you're from Dallas, yes. Yeah, is, they do. They do everything. If you, like, if you ask someone from New York City, like, okay, so you know how like when you don't know where you want to eat, you just go to Chili's. They're like, you are a fucking hick, and I hate yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a place where like, yeah, you look. You're not going to be blown away, dude. It's it's a high it's a high floor, low ceiling establishment. Like, right. <laughs> it's a very narrow band. A very Iguodala establishment. 
Look, it's it's like when you go to a place that you've never eaten at before and you really worry you're not going to like something, what do you do? You get chicken fingers because chicken fingers, they hardly ever suck. They never blow your mind, but they hardly ever suck. So it's a real safe choice. And this is a real safe movie. It is. It is. But chicken fingers movie. are great. I love chicken fingers and I and I love Miracle. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's a Okay, here's the thing. Is it it's a sports movie that does it has a cool coach. It yep. has good sports sequences in a lot of them. It has like cool training montages and it has like a really awesome speech at the end. Right. Yep. And so like that, if you, if that's all you have as a, as a sports movie, that's going to be like, it's, it's kind of like um, a participation trophy. Like you're going to, you're going to get a good grade anyways, if that's all yeah. you have. Yeah. And I mean, but, but the thing about all that is that a lot of that is not in, like baked into the writing a lot of that is that's directorial that's cinematography right the speech now the speech is different but i think that's a real speech right it is it's direct lifted dialogue so again so again i can't really do the heavy lifting yeah exactly so like i i again the thing like all of the things that i loved about this film i can attribute to things other than the writing and all the things that i was picking that i was picking at i was like man i think they should have done that better or i really don't like how they did that was again the writing, and particularly the structure and the pacing, were the two things that just stuck out to me as like needed improvement. It is really long for what it is. It felt like it could have maybe been a tight ninety-minute movie, and it's yeah. more like two two hours, close to two and a half. Um, but overall, very enjoyable experience. Definitely a movie like if you're coaching like a little league team, you can show them; it'll get them fired up. It's it's great for what it is. Like it's chocolate chip cookies. It's it's got sugar, flour, milk, eggs, and chocolate chips. Like as long as you it's don't cook chilies. it too long. It's chilies, yeah. man. There you go. Or if you Perfect. live in New York, it's Sabaro or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, dude. Perhaps New Yorkers love Sabaro, bro. It's your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like Shake Shack or Dunkin', but I like Sabaro. I'm pretty sure that like half the people that are going to be listening to this, aka writers, are like living in new york and they're gonna hate they me for hate saying that <laughs> dude well, it's that it's that scene from the office where michael goes into manhattan and he's like i can get a slice from my favorite pizza place <laughs> the camera turns and it's a sabaro <laughs> what's what's sad is i i said that being half serious and then i saw your reaction and realized that no that's not a that's that's a ice cold take i should have just said like Dwayne reed even though it's not like a restaurant because i know that they <laughs> <laughs> they, they mess with Dwayne Reed, right? Like, dude, New Yorkers fuck heavy with Dwayne Reed, dude. They'll, yeah. they'll ride for Dwayne. They'll slide for Dwayne Reed, dude. So, okay, so yeah, Dwayne Reed, eat your heart out. You there you go. So, what's your one out of ten? I'm gonna give it a seven. Uh, it's like you said, it, it hits all the notes it needed to. If it was lacking anything that we've described as it's like good parts, it would suck. So, like, it it fulfilled. Is a pass. This is like a pass fail grade, and this is a pass. Uh, it doesn't do any. This is not a movie where I'd ever be like, if someone was like, "Hey, I want to write a script," I would never be like, "Okay, you need to go watch this part of Miracle." Dude, and no kidding. Yeah. Learn, learn how to do this. Uh, it's not a masterclass in anything, but for a, an event in real life that I do think is important, I'm glad. I'm kind of glad they took this approach. I think that at least once in the what i'm sure will come to be many retellings of this story there needed to be one that was just like very true and direct and direct primary sources and things like that and this does a great job at that so I'm gonna give yeah it a and i guess i do give them a little bit of like i don't even want to say bonus points but just like i give them a nod for doing that right is sure they didn't go off the wall because i think if they had just made this like 
incredibly written movie and it was based on a real story and then you find out that like a lot of it was fake i that would have been i don't know like that that just wouldn't have you don't want to diminish the actual you don't want to diminish the actual okay it's like i hate to like invoke the name of 9-11 but if you wrote a movie about flight 93 and you made up a whole bunch of crazy shit for that movie and then people go look up the real thing and you've kind of like outshined the actual heroism of real people that like did something incredible that's kind of shitty in my opinion Right. So not that the stakes are nearly the same in this instance, but yeah, like, un- understood. Yeah. This, this, this movie and the people that were involved in the real thing, they deserved an accurate telling of what they did because it was important at the time. And so, yeah, I agree with you. So seven out of 10, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm giving it a, a writing grade. Cause normally I just say like how I think the writing is right. But I want to yeah. separate these because I think that the writing and like the, the final product are different. I'm going to say like the movie itself Again, I'm grading it on the curve of like a sports movie. Of course. It's like a solid like 7.8 out of 10. Like that's fair. I can't give it that much higher. I mean, it, it is a it's a really good sports movie. If you've got somebody in your life that like loves sports films, they should definitely put this one on their list. Like it's a it's it's a really good sports movie. As I as we were saying earlier, for, there was a while where I thought it was probably my favorite sports movie. And I think that's because the the action is so good and they depict hockey really well. They depict hockey really well. And I don't see. I don't like hockey, and Me like I don't. I don't watch hockey. I should say. I I like yeah, watching same. hockey when it's on, but I'm not big into hockey. And for me to really enjoy the sports scenes and the coaching and like the training scenes of a of a sport that I don't really care about, I think speaks to how well they did that. I wonder if that contributes to our liking of it, though. Like. If people didn't watch football or really understand football, they might like football movies, football action more because they don't really know what the, that what they're watching is a bad representation of it. Like real hockey dudes might watch this and be like, oh, that line switch is trash, dude. That guy just went over the blue line. That's a penalty. You know what I mean? Like we don't. I, but from a total layman's perspective, it looks good. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I, I have some friends who play hockey and they love this movie. Okay, cool. Awesome. Like one of their favorite films. So I think it does it a, a service, right? Um, but then as far as like the, I, so I said seven out of, I think I said 7.8 out of 10 for the movie itself. And then I'll say for the writing, I'm going to have to put it like a six, man. And and, and honestly, I, I, I might even want to put it lower just because again, I, there are so many, I don't want to call them mistakes. I, there's really not a lot of mistakes, but I think the pacing is off. And I think it's hard to. Well, they, they very clearly like took a bunch of real dialogue and stuff like that, stuck that in a document, and then built a script around those things, which yeah. makes the task really difficult. Like they they managed to come up with like something akin to a well flowing piece of media that tells a good story, but like that's never how you would approach a normal narrative. Like right, you would never sit down and be like, okay, I know I want two people to have this discussion. I'll write the discussion and then I'll, <laughs> I'll come up with the characters and then I'll come up with how they got to that point. Like that'd be really yeah, and, and, and you brought this up earlier about, I forget exactly how you worded it and I'm going to mix it up. Cause I've, I've seen some critiques about the movie that I tend to agree with. And then I heard you talk about how the movie has like some flatness to the characters or like lack of emotion from some of the characters. Uh, and part of that is, I think the acting, I think a little bit of that is because, so I was reading up and, you know, the guy who played Jimmy Craig was a real, is like a classically trained actor, but a lot of the guys on the team are like hockey players first. 
yeah actor second and it bleeds through a little bit but i also think it's just how it's written and how much time they dedicate to some of these characters um and again some of the structure about like what what they chose to reveal early and what they chose to withhold and i you know i would have loved to see them take out one or two of the, of the if they're not going to spend the time to to develop the characters i think you cut out some of those plot lines and just make it more herbrook centric so yeah i agree i'm giving it a six out of ten because there wasn't like crazy mistakes just if there was like plot holes which would be really hard to do in a movie like this but if there was like plot holes or just like nonsense dialogue i would have graded it much worse but i just feel like this movie could have been so much better than it was i think that it does a disservice to the characters i, th- I don't think the characters was very good I almost hope that now, good. now that someone has done this like very straight take on this movie, like a totally historically accurate, no liberty taken with anyone. I almost hope someone comes and does like a Ford versus Ferrari job on this. Like Ford versus Ferrari caught some flack because they like colored some characters to make them more interesting and like made some rivalries more intense and like some rumors they turned into fact and likewise uh vice versa i would like that done with this i think you could do something really interesting like if you had done ford versus ferrari in like a very straight laced way it could have been a very similar movie to this like because they win at the end it's a very like paint by numbers type story on the surface but they managed to like make the characters really vivid and colorful you they made sure carol shelby was this like larger than life texan they made uh, Christian Bale's character, this like fly off the handle test driver, Henry Ford the Third's crazy. Like they made every character like a heightened version of themselves in order to make the narrative more interesting. And I thought they did that really successfully to the detriment of people who wanted something more akin to what we saw in Miracle, which is like this person is doing an impression of so and so. So maybe maybe in the, down the line we'll see someone take a shot at that, and that'd be interesting to see. Absolutely. Well, Andy, once again, thank you so much for for joining. This has been really fun, and and again, I'm thank glad you, you got Sam. to see the movie, man. Um, yeah, this is red. As always, uh, if you like our content, you know, like and subscribe, and um, we're going to be putting out some some content on Patreon as well as some other channels. And we'd love to get some of your feedback. You can always reach out to us um, at Novel Discourse on Twitter and on Instagram. We'd love to to hear your feedback and and you know what you thought about this, right? Um, we would love to hear from fans of this movie as well as, you know, Boston University and Boston College people. You could tell us uh, how we tell can us tell why. Tell us why BU is better than BC and vice versa. Exactly. Um, and again, as always, thank you. Take it easy.